but I really have to stop myself from going microaggressions because microaggression. No, we're gonna make a joke out of that. Are you kidding? <laughs> Don't be silly. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of St. Mark's Cathedral Conversations about Race. My name is Michael Pereira, and I'm here with Kara Peterson. Hey, Kara. Hello. We're doing something slightly different for this episode. We don't have a guest, but what we do have is a theme that we'd like to talk about. And the reason that we decided to do things a little differently is this. In the conversations you've heard with Vinu Kamanapali and Vindo, and again, many thanks to both of them for being so brave in sharing their stories with us. Yeah. But in what you've heard in their conversations, you might have discerned a few themes that arose. And these are themes that the two of them have talked about, that Kara and myself talked about in our respective episodes, and that will come up in the other episodes that we are currently recording and will record in the future. And Kara and I thought it was really important just to hit pause on the regular schedule ever so briefly and go into some depth about what these themes are, because they've come up before in the past, they will come up in the future, and we don't want to assume that everybody automatically knows what these themes are and what they mean. And especially because some of these things are not easy to talk about, and even if we can talk about them, they're not necessarily easy to understand. And so... Today, what we're going to do in this episode is go a little deep into the conversation about microaggressions. And in the next episode that you'll hear from us, there'll be another theme. In the episode after that, there'll be another theme. Basically, there's a lot of stuff that came up from these interviews, which is great, but it does mean that we need to look at them in slightly more detail and not just assume that everybody's already on the same page. A microaggression is a, a relatively new word. Microaggression by its academic definition is a term used for commonplace daily, either verbal, behavioral, or environmental slight, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative attitudes or stigmatized or culturally marginalized groups. Ooh, that's, that's a mouthful. At any rate, <laughs> It was coined by a man named Chester M. Pierce, who was a Black researcher at Harvard, and he coined that term because there wasn't really any good single word for it beforehand. And yes, plus he was a consultant on Sesame Street, which was very exciting. So the three things that the sort of academic uh, definition that I just read out loud to you, frankly, uh, mentions basically three arms of microaggressions, sort of overarching uh, verbal, which is probably the most easily identifiable for most people, whether you're in a demographic that experiences a lot of this sort of stuff or not, because uh, it can it can be anywhere as terrible and extreme as, you know, go back to your country, which just... Ugh. I mean, honestly, that's a macroaggression, but I take the point. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's, but even something like, well, maybe not. I guess I can't speak to that particular experience. And that wasn't a good one for me to pick. But you get the sense of, of 
what that is or you know but then behavioral and environmental are maybe a little harder to to really kind of suss out um, even for people who experience them directly because it is often not a single like experience in an instant it's usually something you might notice over time and a good example that i a good example that I will say I have no direct experience in because I am not black, but are things like, you know, big drugstore chains not carrying black hair care products, or if they do, keeping them locked up, but not for, you know, other kinds of hair. That's uh, a good example of an environmental microaggression where the, some store policy said, keep these locked up we don't trust or they're going to steal it or you know nobody needs to buy that because we're just going to assume our customer base is white an example of behavioral microaggression could be something like someone choosing very obviously to cross the street if they see a black person approaching or you know making a point to lock the doors of your car if you see a black guy waiting at the bus stop or you know something like that, that makes it very obvious with what you're doing that you probably for unfounded reasons have decided that you don't feel comfortable around this person because of what they look like. Mm -hmm. And something that came up when Kara and I were researching this and fleshing this out is that the microaggressions that we've experienced and that our guests have, have experienced sometimes do fall neatly into these categories of verbal, behavioral, environmental. Sometimes they don't. It can be a mix of both. It can be uh, and something that was said or something that was done or something that happened that doesn't neatly fit into one of these categories. And as important as it is to qualify, these are the different ways that microaggressions happen. It's also incredibly important to qualify, I think, that microaggressions can happen in so many different ways. One of the most insidious things about microaggressions is that they're not overtly offensive or overtly racist, because then we could just call them macroaggressions, and that would make life so much simpler. Many of the things that Kara and I will be talking about in this discussion about microaggressions are things people have said and done to us that, on the surface, do not initially appear to be offensive, do not initially appear to be prejudicial in any form, but scratching ever so lightly reveals that these things would not be said and done to us or for us, whatever, if not for the fact that whoever was saying them thought differently of us because we are of different skin color to them. Something I have experienced myself in terms of that is people assuming I am Indian, for example. And so they ask me about yoga. They ask me about Bollywood. They ask me about Hinduism. They ask me about Indian food. I am, you are Sri Lankan. Yes, I am from a, Indian. a sovereign country that is very, uh, very distinct in many ways from India. I don't expect people to know just by looking at me that I'm Sri Lankan. I mean, there aren't that many of us and we're certainly not very widespread up here in the Pacific Northwest. So I don't expect people to look at me and go, I know you're not Indian. That's 
that's not it at all. But the it is Bob. They're just coming up to you and being like, "Oh, what's your favorite Bollywood movie?" I've I've been asked for Bollywood recommendations before. I mean, uh, when it was not part of the conversation. I mean, it's not like I bring up Bollywood for whatever right. reason. Uh, but people have just sprung on me uh, that they saw a Bollywood movie once and it was wonderful. And like, that's I'm, great. Mazel yeah. like, Congratulations. I have, <laughs> I have absolutely nothing I can say in response, apart from the obvious, wow, that was, wow, you just played all your cards right there, didn't you? <laughs> so it does bother me when people see the skin color and they go, well, he must be Indian. So that means he must be the person to talk to about um if he knows any anything about yoga, if he knows um, anything about tech support, because yes, I have been mistaken for tech support before. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I'll go you one better. This didn't happen at St. Mark's, but I was mistaken for tech support at a church I used to go to no. as a member. Oh, no. Well, I'm, I'm very honestly glad that it did not happen at St. Mark's. And I... Although... It, yes, it didn't happen at St. Mark's, but I am aware that I am one of the tech people at St. Mark's. I'm there behind well, okay. an electronic board. <laughs> you are actually tech support at St. Mark's. I know. It's actually for real your job. <laughs> I mean, it says it's. I've been described as the sound tech, as the sound engineer. None of those things are inaccurate. Yeah, that's, so, that's funny. I didn't actually think about that you are technically Tech technically tech <laughs> technically tech support at St. Mark but um... so I mean it's it's a it's a thing to be aware about uh, and again it's not that people have come up to me and said oh of course you're the tech guy that would be a problem but as I said in the other church that I used to go to that was an assumption that was made as I said microaggressions rarely if ever fall very neatly into one of the categories that we talked about and I think what I've described as my experience with that it falls into, we could say behavior, uh, so, uh, behavioral and verbal. I mean, certainly people asking me out of the blue, if I know good Indian restaurants, which unfortunately I do because. Well, you live in the U district and I, live in the U district. I like Indian food. I mean, to, yeah. to an extent we do become to a degree, we become our stereotypes. <laughs> and dude, that that complicates things. I, I I there's a part of me that wishes I could say I don't know the first damn thing about Indian food. Go go to Yelp. That's what it's for. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. As I, you can tell, some baggage is being unpacked here. That's uh, fine. You know that that's what the, like seventy percent of this podcast is that space for that. So <laughs> cheers. Cheers. So. Uh, so yeah, I mean, th there's a part of it which really does antagonize me. But yes, I do text stuff at St. Mark's. I mean, I, I'm one of the few people who has the login information for the website. That's fair. I'm really that not helping fair, my case actually. here, am I? Yeah, well, you're not a telemarketer, though. And I suspect that usually what people sort of expect, I guess. This is, I, have, I guess this is a bizarre story actually because when I was working at the Episcopal bookstore we had a guy come in and we were talking with him and he mentioned that he tried to call you know a, a, like to get help with his computer or something like that and he like openly made fun of how he, 
like, and they couldn't barely understand me. Ha 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 ha. And I, that was the first time I think that I had in person been like, that was really inappropriate. And so I told them <laughs> and he just sort of waved it off and was like, well, I couldn't understand them. Like I was by far the youngest staff member. So I couldn't just be like, well, you're, you know, <laughs> at the, you know, I didn't feel empowered to just be like, you're a racist old man and you're wrong. And I a little bit wish I did, but what's past, past. So. I actually do have a pretty big one that we can unpack a little bit because I have questions actually for your experience with it because a big microaggression that I don't get so much anymore um, but I did when I was younger, when I was in you know, school, when I was in college and sort of starting to navigate uh, the world outside of my own family uh, is I get asked a lot, what are you? Oh, and yeah, and that's that's kind of the, you know, I, I understand folks almost always just want to know about the culture that you're from because it's going to be different from their mayonnaise white like midwest whatever which is great i'm glad you're learning but like even just the phrasing what what are you God. where are you from i'm from seattle <laughs> what do you want you know <laughs> and you know they always go oh well where are you really from or well is the rest of you, or like all, all manners of these questions. In fact, actually another bookstore story, there was another uh, person who came in and this lady was very old and a nun and English was not her first language. That's fine, that's great. She was trying to buy Paschal candle pins for when they put the cross and it's the new one for the Easter vigil. Mm. But she was trying to get them in like August. Like we don't carry these until February because it's not Lent. <laughs> at any rate, she came up and I was doing the transaction at the register and she looked at me and she was like, where are you from? And I was, I, I said Seattle and just continued on my merry way. But when I thought do. about it more, my first very American centric like thought was, what are you talking about? Where am I from? Where are you from? <laughs> Which, of course, literally, I would never say that to anybody. Never in a million years. But Ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was the first, like, are you so entrenched in this culture that you're out here just, <laughs> like, what? Throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. And so, I mean, that was kind of the most full story I've had with that. Because a lot of the time, I would just sort of gloss over the I usually just answered with the answer, which is my family is Japanese. You know, that's that's the color you see in my face because I know that they're not asking, what are you uh, to be mean? It's just a little ignorant. And of course, like, you know, it's eh, anyway, that, that sort of language that's, that's very prevalent. Or um, I get people trying to guess my ethnicity a lot. It's, it's, it's not a, a game. It's not a game. Um, it's not Jeopardy. Like, I uh, luckily do not take myself very seriously. And sometimes I do like hearing what bizarre things uh, they guess. Um, 
I've been asked if I was Mayan. I'm not that cool, sadly. I've been asked if I was Mexican. Again, not that cool, sadly. Um, most East Asian and Southeast Asian <laughs> countries I've been asked if I am. Like, are you Korean? No. Are you Chinese? No. Are you Japanese? Well, ethnically, yes, but no, I'm an American. <laughs> I'm a Seattleite. <laughs> How disappointed they must be. I know. Well, I, I mean, yeah, they kind of are. It's always like, just, yeah, whatever. But with all of that said, I wanted to know if you have ever been asked that question, Michael. Oh, yeah. Oh, so many yeah, times. Because, well, just because, like, there, there's just a couple of, like, I guess this is kind of an interesting thing. Maybe we can decide to cut it out if we don't like it. But, like, just thinking about the differences in experience between you and me, right? You have slightly darker skin, um, but you have a British accent. Which is so another like, thing to talk about, but yeah, continue. Yeah, well, exactly. And of course, we'll, we'll, that is a deep dive. <laughs> that is a deep dive. Yeah, darker dive. skin, the accent. Yes, and yes, there's a lot to say about that. But I'm, I'm wondering if, if, if folks have still been like, what are you? Or do they actually get around to being like, where are you from? Like, has that been a, a more prevalent question because of your accent or like, or has it just literally never come up and nobody asks you, what are you or anything like that? That's a good question. I honestly forget if I've gotten the, what are you, but I am 99% sure I have at some point. It's just mind boggling to think that somehow that bullet has dodged me. I, yeah. I have, <laughs> I, I know for sure I've gotten the, where are you from? Uh, where do you come from originally? Blah, blah, blah. And, and that comes in so many permutations and depending on, a number of factors which my brain cycles through in nanoseconds, my response changes. If it's somebody I know or I have a good relationship with or I feel the question is coming from a place of good faith, then I can say, all right, so my parents are Sri Lankan, but I was born in Dubai, uh, and then that's how I wound up here. But if I have second thoughts, if I don't feel like it's a good faith question, like it's not coming from a place of wanting to know to know me better or genuine curiosity, but if I feel like somebody's asking the question because maybe they've got they just want to know for their own purposes, if there's some kind of agenda that they're playing to, then I can I pride myself and maybe a little bit too much pride, but I'll take it anyway. I pride myself on being able to stop that train of thought by very truthfully and honestly saying, I moved here from Massachusetts. <laughs> which is 1000% true. I did move to Washington state from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. If I feel like it's not a, it, it's not a question born out of, as I said, good faith, then I can just throw fire on that. Or worse, I could say, I've, you know, I, I'm from Seattle and that's perfectly fair because I've been living here for the past 16 years. I've lived here longer than some of the people who might ask me that question. So yeah, yeah, I'm not actually. You're you're coming up on living here as long as you grew up in Dubai because you you moved away about eighteen or nineteen, right? Yeah, nineteen. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Give it another. By the end of this presidential administration, I would have been here enough of my life that the two parts of that chronology would have balanced out. Yeah, 
that's and actually I appreciate your point also about the context because I actually remember asking you a similar question because I I had heard because like yes you're you're Sri Lankan but grew up in Dubai and so I but at this point we've been talking about it we've been planning this podcast and I was like I I literally just want to know the story but I didn't go what are you <laughs> so that's it's the same thing for me as if, if someone that I've been having a conversation with or something and then they might be like hey like what that's fine but people like cashiers at the grocery store have asked me like I'm not kidding it's just like these seem to be appropriate things sometimes none of the people who've ever asked me that have felt dangerous just um uninformed and I think uninformed is a perfectly good way of putting it. I mean, for so long, for, for an incredibly long period of time, people of color were made to feel on the outside. And that was normalized. If you looked at the media that was made in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even a good deal of the, of the 2000s. But if you looked at the media that was made, people of color were never the protagonists they were never in the in the lead roles they were never the audience um the figure with whom the audience was made to empathize with yeah. and so i think there was there was and there continue to be entire generations of people who are raised to look at people of color as again outsiders not mm -hmm. somebody who you take the time to get to know and then in the right way and with the right uh, intentions say um, where are you from originally? Or would you mind if I asked you something like that? But just to put it out there, like, you know, like anything. So what are you exactly? Which is a yeah. completely wonderful thing for anybody to hear. Not who are you, not where yeah. are you from, or not yeah. what's your story, but what? Like an object. What are you? What are you? Yeah. Well, you that's it. You are nothing more than an object of curiosity. And that's yeah. why it's so dehumanizing and again yeah. on the point of microaggressions there might be some people who went into this episode thinking what's so offensive about saying what are you when what i mean is you know blah 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 but this is what's so offensive you're not looking at people of color like a human being mm -hmm. you're looking at them as something you can categorize something something you can categorize and that's why it's a microaggression nothing of what we experience or what our guests have experienced will easily be a verbal microaggression, an environmental or a behavioral one. Mm -hmm. It will, and some, it will cross, it will blur those lines. And sometimes to such an effect that explaining it to the person who might've said or done it is kind of futile because they will not understand where their mistake lay. But yeah. hopefully in the conversations that we're having, we can create enough of an awareness of that. Yeah, I think the, the biggest answer is always, I didn't mean it. And oh, we could do a series fine. on that phrase. I didn't mean it. That's fine. Um, but whether you meant it or not, it was still extremely insulting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. And that's, I oh, the, remember having to learn that lesson between intention and affect. Two very different things. I mean, we could go back to this and say <laughs> the English had great intentions for the Indian subcontinent and look what happened. Like seriously, that was the rationale. It was wrong. Ooh, I almost spilled my LaCroix. Ooh, I'm bougie. <laughs> the rationale was 
wrong. <laughs> it was unethical. And it ended up robbing that entire region economically for hundreds of years. Yeah, so which has changed it, on a geopolitical um, level. What, mm-hmm. and in I mean, case, let it be known that being true. asked what are you is not the same as um, Indian culture getting um, colonized violently, but it's the same sort of maybe even a phrase that I don't like very much but might describe it is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Speaking of good intentions, I mean, nobody saw me do this, but I rolled up my sleeves because I do have a story that fits this and then some. Very good. Let me mute myself and settle in. (laughs) (laughs) And Kara, I'll just tell this to you on a side. We just talked about this. And so it is very fresh in memory. So I'm going to try and parse this as chronologically and as orderly as I can. But here we are talking about why microaggressions can be so insidious is because obviously whoever said it or whoever did it rarely meant it as an insult. Rarely, not really, rarely meant it as an insult, but because of their own privilege or their own lack of experience in this world, they have or had no idea that what they were saying was potentially a grievance. And my example of this is at a church I used to go to many, many years ago. There was someone there, fairly well-placed in the church, who, when I became friends with that person and spent a lot of time talking to them, getting to know them, would introduce. Uh, sometimes they did this as an introduction, introducing me to somebody else at the church, or sometimes just talking to me directly. But they would praise me by saying I spoke And I quote their exact words, that I spoke the king's English. Now, this person meant it as the highest praise, as a compliment. And in fact, we did talk about Shakespeare a lot. I, For the life of me, do not remember why Shakespeare came up. But either way, this person held my use of the English language in very high esteem. And at the time, I took it at face level, a compliment. And many years have passed since that person and I have had those kinds of conversations. And I know what they meant. And there's a part of me that's grateful to them for for putting me in such high regard, specifically the way I spoke, the way I wrote, the way I, I communicated. But a lot of time has passed since I've had those conversations with those with that person. I know much more about the colonial history of Christianity, or rather I have acknowledged much more. I think I've always known it, but I I don't try to sweep it under the carpet as much as I used to. I know that one of the primary reasons I identify as a Christian is because centuries ago, people who spoke the King's English came to that part of the world and thought, None of what we see here matters. All that matters are the natural resources that we can plunder and people who we can convert. And I know the fact that I am in an Episcopal church, spiritual sibling of the Church of England, the same denomination as those colonizers and those conquerors who came spreading their word at the expense of everything else. I know that's a very strange place for me to be in. And there are times that challenges me. And I want to be clear, there are times I do enjoy some of the trappings of being an Anglophile. 
there I, I probably consume as much British media as I do American media, but it's a very complicated legacy to inherit. And I have such fond memories of the person who told me that I spoke the King's English. They were incredibly helpful to me when my life was in a very bad situation. And I, I don't mean that as a platitude. I mean, that person was probably the difference between me and homelessness. They paid my rent once yeah. when I could barely afford to buy groceries. They have the purest, one of the purest hearts I've ever known inside or outside of a church. But, and I say this with all the respect I can muster, which I hope is coming across. I don't want to take away from their generosity. I don't want to take away from how truly good they were to me. But that's a hell of a thing to say to a brown person. You speak the language of the, of the conqueror. You speak in the same style. You know, I mean, she didn't mean it literally in the same style. I do not speak Shakespeare in English. But <laughs> it's, well, and introducing you like that, too, is, I mean, it, it gives off the look at my little servant kind of vibes. Even though I, obviously that's not at all at all what she meant. No, no. But, but like that's well, and this this goes back to a couple of our points from earlier. One that I think about a lot, and that is oftentimes you don't realize for a long time that what you were experiencing was microaggressions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My example certainly is the story I think I told a couple episodes ago when I was in first grade and I got called out with a bunch of other Asian kids in my elementary school. Like, that was a microaggression to just assume and then take me out and put it into the environment, even though it didn't hurt me physically or emotionally. But it was... <laughs> that, that's interesting, too, with the King's English, because when you first said that, my, my, like, math-deficient brain's first thought was, well, Queen Elizabeth didn't ascend to the throne until, like, Queen Elizabeth's been on the throne since, like, 1953. There hasn't been a king in England in, like, 70 years. <laughs> and then, and then when you, but then I was like, well, but that's, a, that's such an interesting point for you to make that I hadn't really thought about of, of being, like, yes, for you, the king's English is, like, this high, like, you know, gold standard to shoot for. But when you thought about it to you, it's the language that was imposed on to you centuries ago, centuries ago. Like, I mean, and it was all because, I mean, like, I guess we'll, we won't um, continue hating on England too much more. <laughs> it is also responsible for the religion that we both know and love. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, when the English just went in, we're like, you know, what, what is this? It's not British. And we made IPA on the way here and now we're mad. Like, I don't know, but um, <laughs> India Pale Ale is a kind of beer that is called that because when British sailors would sail to India, that was the fermentation time of that particular uh, beer, so. I want to be on the record. I do not like IPAs. I, 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 I'm hit and miss with them. If they taste a little bit like grass, I'm really not into it. But the more citrusy ones I can usually do. But yeah, no, I, I'm a very sweet or like porter or like red in a can stout kind of beer drinker anyway. Um, but it was it was just such an interesting point that like 
yeah why yeah. why would why would your friend have thought of that people are continuously realizing ways in which they're experiencing these or helping perpetuate that i'm i'm sure i have committed microaggressions i know i have and the thing is you have to step back and go why did i do that why did i think that and what do i do next time so that i don't have a, a really terrible response and you know it, <laughs> this it made me think of them um, when i was in a therapy session a couple of years ago i was telling my therapist that i was concerned about coming off as selfish and that was just such a big thing and she was like kara do you think selfish people care about appearing selfish to others? And I was like, no, but she was like, you're not being selfish. <laughs> and it was the same sorts of things. Once you start being aware of something like that, it makes it much easier to adapt and stand up and, you know, and that's what that is 100% why we're doing this, this podcast, I mean, certainly this episode, but this whole series is to help people be more aware, more aware of our experiences as BIPOC people who may not have had a channel to talk about them in the past, but also more aware of what we experience sometimes at the very well-intentioned hands uh, or voices of the people in our community or our multiple communities. And Kara, something you and I talked about before we started recording is there's a degree to which I don't want to conflate white privilege and male privilege. But I know I have unwittingly, and I, I'll be honest, I know I have and in the past used my own male privilege to my benefit, but also to the detriment of whoever in, in this context to the woman or women I was working with or interacting with at the time. And as I've gotten older, as I've been more aware of what male privilege is, I do check myself if I think there's no reason why this woman should have reason to think twice about an interaction with me. I know that's my comfort and my privilege patting me on the back and going, as a guy, I have nothing to worry about. There's nothing I could do or say that could be possibly misconstrued or misinterpreted. <laughs> But that's privilege. And I hope that, I mean, I had to choose, just as a note to myself, I had to choose these words carefully. But I hope that people listening to this will not feel like they're being individually singled out, but where they might be tempted to say, as a woke white person who goes to an Episcopal church on the West Coast, I have nothing to worry about. But No, you're wrong. It's absolutely wrong. I'm not even gonna let you finish that. <laughs> Thank thing, you. But it's wrong. If if that's how your <laughs> thought starts, it's already starting on the wrong foot. Yeah. And yeah. this is not about being hyper aware and and constantly second guessing literally everything you're going to say. But hopefully, if we can illustrate how there are different dynamics in play whenever you do talk to somebody who is not a carbon copy of you. Whether that person is of a different gender, whether that person is of a different race, of a different socioeconomic background, or any form of difference, don't pat yourself on the back before you even start the conversation. Don't pat yourself on the back after you finish the conversation either. But be, <laughs> be aware of what those differences are. Be aware of how you might sound 
whether you are white, whether you are male, whether you are privileged. If that's the takeaway that people take away from this, then I think this has been a good look at what microaggressions are, but then also how to curb them and how to, as best as possible, try to remove them from the interactions and the conversations you have. Exactly what Michael said about, you know, we're trying, we're not singling anyone out. And in fact, on my end in particular, um, in the past couple of interviews, you know, we've, it's been Michael who moved to the United States as new, who moved to the United States school, and Vin, who was part of a refugee family that St. Mark's sponsored during the Vietnam War, which doesn't make St. Mark's a white savior, by the way. It's how he came here, which is great. Uh, but I realized when we were scheduling all those interviews and doing them that I was the only, like, you know, natural born American. But, like, listening made me realize how completely wrong my frame of reference of the world is because I really mostly saw it through American eyes. My biggest one was when Anu was talking about Easter, not just being a a main thing in the cognition of people inside of India. Like, it's mostly a Hindu country. Like, why would would everyone know what Easter is if most of the population is not Christian? And it was just completely new. And I'm trying to highlight those moments myself to also help say that, like, this isn't a we're going to tell you everything you're doing is wrong, <laughs> you know, and none of this is black and white. It's all moving parts. It's all gray. It's all mushy. We all have things to work on, call out and whatever. Hmm. But sometimes it is best to just sit back, listen, read the room, try to see if you want to ask questions, if that person is receptive to it. Or is it going to be weird because you, they've never talked to them and suddenly you're asking, what are you, for instance? <laughs> and just a personal pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I say pet peeve. It's a microaggression, but, you know, pet peeve, <laughs> that works, is when people watch a documentary on Netflix or HBO, or they listen to a podcast or they travel. It does not make them an expert. It does not equate the experiences of whoever they're talking to or whoever is talking about their own experiences, their lived experiences with what you can do on a Friday night on your couch or when you're listening to a podcast on a hike. I mean, I do like that this kind of media is being consumed, but ultimately for people who do not have that lived experience, they're still the consumer as harsh as that might sound. And so this hasn't happened to me directly, but, or if it has, again, I just do not remember it or I haven't fully processed it, but I know it has happened to other BIPOC folks. I know where these individuals are talking about something that they went through, that something that they lived through in their country of origin. But here is another person in that circle, in that particular group who says, oh, I know exactly what you mean. Do you? Yeah, I saw it on Netflix once. Or, yeah, yeah, this reminds me of something I heard in a podcast. I mean, I'm... Cool. (laughs) Yeah, good. You're learning, but that does not make you the teacher in that moment. The teacher 
to continue to use this metaphor is the person who's actually gone through it. And yes, there will be a point, a place and a time for you to say, I'm, I read something online, listen to a podcast, watch a documentary, or I traveled to this country, to that part of the world, whatever. And so I have some idea of this, but that some idea should never compete for space with whatever that, again, lived experience is. I'm glad you're doing this stuff. I'm glad you're consuming this media. I'm glad you're traveling. But that doesn't make what you've seen or enjoyed part of what my existence has gone through. And again, I want to say this is rarely, if ever, something that's happened to me, but I know it has happened to people I know other BIPOC people who talk about what it was like growing up in a different part of the country, talk about what it was like emigrating to the U.S. where they didn't have any friends, maybe didn't speak English as a first language. And then for somebody to say, oh, yeah, I heard that in a podcast once. I know exactly what you mean. That's not knowing exactly what you mean. No, or being like, oh, I moved to New Jersey for college. Yeah, there's all the jokes you can make about East and West Coast, but you don't have to learn a new language. Like, semantically (laughs) you don't have to learn how to drive a different way you don't have to like totally you know it's it's and that will be a (laughs) maybe a sneak peek to another one of these topical episodes that we're also excited to put together about representation I'm so glad you mentioned the other themes because as much as we can continue to talk about microaggressions and maybe someday we will As I said, when we started this, there are many other themes which did arise from the conversations with Vinu and the conversations with with Vin and with the other guests that we have coming up. So we'll leave this here for now. I I really hope that we have answered a few questions about, sure, what microaggressions are, but also why they are more than just microaggressions. These go pretty deep and we Mm -hmm. need to look at these wounds to know how best to treat them. And next, we there are other things that we certainly want to talk about, cultural appreciation versus cultural appropriation, representation, and a few other things that we'll get to. But Kara, thank you so much for being willing to take this really insidious slight. <laughs> and you thank know- you for sharing all, all of that stuff. I mean, that I you know it this stuff all comes in different ways doesn't it it totally like, does like yeah. you know we're both talkative we're both willing to talk about it with each other and if our ramblings can help others great sorry that was a terrible no i want to finish my, with was let me finish with that. <laughs> um you know what i'm we'll take it I'll, i i will actually take that like Listen, you know what? If this is the whole outro, that's fine. Maybe it's the behind the scenes thing. I don't know. Thank you for thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. And good. <laughs> You're gonna wake up tomorrow and be like, what the f did we record? <laughs> <laughs>